You guys excited to be here? Woo! I am super excited too. Are you guys cool if we start with story time with Sean? Yeah? Story time with Sean? Okay. So there I am. I am 18 years old, all right? I've got a buzz cut. I don't have glasses. I don't have a beard. If you see a picture, you'd be shocked. Okay, I didn't wear big people clothes. I just wore basketball shorts all the time. Some of you dudes, it's time to start wearing pants. Basketball shorts can't be worn all the time, right? And so, well, I don't know. So, here's the situation. I am sitting in a Pentecostal revival meeting with this radical evangelist guy who is like calling out people's sin. He's calling out like sicknesses. He's like, you're, you're going to get healed because you've got this going on. And he's waving his hands and he's like loud and he's jumping around and he's hooting and he's hollering. And I am sitting there as an 18-year-old going, what am I doing here? Like, how did I get here? Now, for context, I grew up going to a Catholic church. Anyone else Catholic? Grow up Catholic? Okay, Catholics and Pentecostals are about as far on the opposite side of spectrum, um, just experientially, right? I, my experience was like you sat up, or you stood up, you sat down when you were supposed to, like 10 times. No one raised their hands during church ever. Um, only one guy really ever spoke, and it was a priest, and he was kind of old and spoke very quietly and somberly, and it was like 10 minutes long, right? And definitely... He wasn't like, God wants to heal you, right? And so that's my experience. That's what I'm like filtering everything through. I'm saved for like four months maybe at this point. And it's actually funny. Our Chi Alpha was actually the guy who, they, they were the ones who invited me. It wasn't like I was at some random church. Like it was our Thursday night rally. And that was the first night. He was actually there for fr- Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning, Right? And so it's Friday night, and actually, it was really cool. When I got there, you know, my smart was like, you got to come. It's awesome. Because he came every year. And he preaches, and I'm just like, this is awesome. Like, you know, he's like fiery. He's excitable. He's funny. I'm like, this, this is awesome. I love this sermon so much. And then he's like, he gets to the end. He's like, all right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to have a time where, where God's going to give us prophetic words and words of knowledge, and we're going to see people get healed and I'm like, huh? Like, I, I thought this was just a sermon, right? Like, I didn't know you were going to do this stuff. And then he starts doing it, and he starts praying, and he says, you know, I, I really feel like God is saying there's a girl here um, who, who has, you know, this thing going on in her body, and, and God wants to heal this. And so if that's you, we want to ask you and pray for you. And I'm just kind of like, okay, like, lucky guess, man. Like, yeah, there's, there's 600 people in the room, obviously, someone has a hurt knee, right? And then he's like, you know, there's, there's a person, I remember him specifically, he's like, there's a, there's a person who, in this room who has a urinary tract infection. I know that's weird, but God wants to heal you of it, and you don't want to talk about it, but he knows, and he wants to heal you, and, you know, there's, there's some, some of you guys, there's a handful of you that, you know, your dad did something to you when you were a kid, and whatever it was, it doesn't have to be sexual, but he did something that scarred you, and God wants to redeem that, and I, the whole time I'm like, okay, like, there's a lot of people, but odds are, like, someone has a urinary tract infection, like, and everyone has daddy issues, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting in, I'm, actually, we were, we were front row people, but I was being a back row butthole, um, and I'm just like, every time he says something, I'm just like, no, it's not, it's not this, you're just good guessing, and you've done this long enough to, 
kind of know what works, and I'm rolling my eyes, and I'm just sitting there Thursday night, and I'm not really sure what's going on. Couldn't tell you why. Went back Friday and Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> um, but Friday was crazy, right? So he preaches again, incredible sermon again. I'm stirred. I still remember both sermons from Thursday and Friday, and I still remember them to this day. And then he gets to the time where he's like, we're going to do this again. God's going to heal people. And I roll my eyes. I'm like, all right, I'll just sit through this part because I didn't drive. And there's this point where he starts to say something. And he says, I believe that God is saying that there are two young ladies in this room. All right? And there's two young ladies in this room. And within the past night or two, you woke up terrified. You woke up unable to move. And you were scared, and it felt actually like there were hands holding you down on your chest. And it felt evil. And you want to you say that's just sleep paralysis. You want to just say it was night terrors. But God wants you to know that there is something going on. He wants to deliver you from that. And I'm asking you to stand up. And we want to pray for you. And I am sitting in my seat, and I start trembling. Okay? I'm not a girl, so he's not talking about me. But... I had a girlfriend at the time, and she had just called me Friday morning crying and said, hey, this happened in the middle of the night. It felt like someone was holding me down. I could not move. I was terrified. It took me hours to fall back asleep. And I'm sitting there, and Sean Smith says this, this evangelist, and my girlfriend is sitting like 20 feet from me. And I'm trembling because I'm like, bro, you shouldn't know this. There's two people in the world that know this. It's me and my girlfriend. How do you know this? And I'm trembling because I already know the answer. God told him. God really did tell Sean Smith what was going on. And at that moment, I was like, well, I'm coming back Saturday. I'm coming back Sunday. What, what, what had really happened was he had radical faith. I just didn't know what to do with it, so it was easier to write it off than to walk in the reality that he was walking in. And, you know, I want to say, I, I wish I could say the story. It kind of has like a not happy but not sad ending. In the moment, it was sad. Because Sean Smith said there was two women in the room. One girl stood up, and one never did. And the girl who didn't stand up was my girlfriend. And I was, I was like, I know that God is speaking, because I know the other person who God wanted to heal. And the Lord did deliver her from this in time, and it was great. But I knew in that moment, man, the Lord is here, and he's doing something beyond what I can believe. And so it's cool. I tell you this not to kind of badmouth her, not to, to shame her or anything. The Lord is, is, has totally redeemed her and saved her. But I say this because, well, first off, we're talking about radical faith tonight. We're talking about this faith that goes beyond what, what maybe most of us can comprehend. And the second reason I want to talk about this, or I talk about the story, is that at the end of the day, faith is about cooperation with God. Okay, faith is about cooperating with God. It is not just on Him, it's n nor is it just on us, right? And then the third reason I wanted to tell the story and where we're going with is that I believe when we have radical faith, God will change everything. He will change your life, he will change your friend's life, and what I hope, 
but my, my, my hope for tonight is that he's going to change this campus forever when we have radical faith, right? And so I think uh, it's fun. Like, you're talking about faith, right? We're, we're kind of like, it's this funny word. I mean, it's not surprising that you said, you're like, I don't know how to define that. Faith is one of those words that, like, everyone knows the word, but not everyone like, if I were to ask any of y'all, like, hey, how would you define faith? Like, some of y'all would be like, well, there's this Bible verse that says this, and others would be like, oh, let's believe, or this, right? And, like, it's kind of this weird word that everyone knows, but not really anyone knows what it is, right? So is faith, is it just about believing, right? Is it enough to just believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, or do we have to live a certain way? Right? If we just believe hard enough, if we have faith hard enough, if we just trust hard enough, regardless of if we either give, get off our butts, if we just believe hard enough, is that faith? Or is faith about action? Is faith about what we do and not what God does? Okay, don't, don't throw stones at me yet. Are, but are there things that are dependent on our faith? Yes, God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he pleases, but will he only do that? when we have faith. Do you see what I mean? Is it dependent on us? Or is it kind of that somewhere in the middle? What exactly is faith? And how is this faith going to change our campus? How is this faith going to change WVU? How are you, every one of you, going to be a part of what God is doing? So we're going to look at this. We're going to figure out exactly what faith is, we're going to go, there's a lot of places, I guess I can't say what all of it is, but we're going to talk about radical faith tonight, okay? This kind of radical faith that is like, I don't, I don't fully understand it, but man, I, I want to, I think I want to be a part of that. And so we're going to go to this story. It's in 2 Kings. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open it up. It'll be on the screen um, in just a minute. Um, it's a long story, so I'm just going to tell you, you can write this down. I'm not going to go through it all just yet, um, but you can write down it's 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, all the way to chapter 7, verse 20, okay? So we're going to kind of summarize the story. We'll read a couple of the chunks of it, but if you want, this story is just wild, guys. This is like, I'm sure a lot of y'all have read your Bible, but this is like one of the stories you kind of don't remember, and then when you actually kind of see it, you're like, this is insane. So that's what we're going to read tonight. Now, for the background of what's going on in this story, so you have to understand God has chosen a nation called Israel, right? And they're his chosen people. They're, they're highly favored. He blesses them. But their blessing is contingent on their obedience, right? He gives them the laws of Moses and all this stuff. And as they're disobedient, God, he, and he, in his original, like when he first gave them the law, he said, if you are disobedient, this will happen, right? The this will happen is starting to happen. And he hasn't fully executed his punishment on them yet. But he's giving them a taste. And so in this story, we're in the city, or we're, we're in Samaria, and it's a specific city, and the king of Israel, right? At this point, the nation has split into two, but it's the king of Israel. He's a pretty wicked dude, right? And they are in their city, and an a enemy army called the Arameans have come, and they've besieged them. So does anyone, any military guys, do y'all know what a siege is? What's a siege? Yes. You literally encircle their city, and you starve them to death or surrender. There's two options. You surrender and say, you know what, y'all win, or you die. You cut off all trade, 
all food, all resources. No one goes in, no one goes out. And that is what's happening as we pick up in this story, right? And so this is 2 Kings 6, 24. It says, Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his army and marched and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head, a donkey's head, sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine presses? Then he asked her, What's the matter? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give up your son, so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we will eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son, so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. Yo, that's pretty bad. Like, that's really bad. Like, people are paying 80 bucks for a donkey's head, and they are eating eyeballs and ears and nostrils and tongues and brains and skin and hair. And then, I mean, I, I don't know, can, like, would anyone happily pay $5 for a red solo cup full of dove poop? Right? Like, I mean, uh, that's disgusting, right? And then it gets... So much worse, you get to this point where these women make a deal to mutually kill their kids just to live another day. And one of them is like, nope, I don't want to do that anymore, right? Like, I, I'm a dad. I just can't. I, it, is, it is impossible for me to consider killing my daughter, Emma, to eat her just to survive one more day. Like, that is how bad. Like, I don't, I, do you guys understand, like, this is how bad the siege got. And then, on steps the scene, a prophet and a man of God named Elisha. And he makes this radical, audacious, faith-fueled statement in chapter 7, okay? So it jumps to chapter 7, and he says this. This is in the midst of, like, a crazy siege. Like, people are eating their children. And this is what he says. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, about this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if God opened the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? Elijah answered, You will see with your own eyes but you will not eat any of it. I mean, can you, can you imagine, like, what kind of faith it takes to say something to people that have gotten that desperate where they're happily eating bird poop and their children and donkey's heads and say, tomorrow, this stuff is going to be sold for dirt cheap. There's going to be so much that we can sell it. I mean, like, you're, 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 selling on, you're buying for pennies, right, at this point. Can you imagine what kind of boldness and guts it takes to say that to a wicked king, right? What we didn't read is that the king wants to kill Elijah. He hates Elijah, even though Elijah's a man of God. To go and say that in a city with poor leadership and say, hey, you're also not going to eat any of it. You're not going to get any of it. You don't utter something like that to people that desperate. You don't say something like that unless you radically believe that God will come through. But we're not talking about Elisha tonight. 
we're actually going to talk about these four guys who do not have a name. God remembers their name, but we don't have their names in the Bible. And these guys, they're nameless men, but they had a fearless faith. And so we read their story in chapter 7, verse 3 through 9 and 16, and it says this. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the gate. And they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we will go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled at dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned, entered another tent, took some things from them, hid them again. Then they said to each other, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So Isaiah of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two Sayas of barley sold for a shekel. As the Lord said. Y'all, that's crazy. That is crazy. If you missed it, let me make this clear. These guys are lepers, okay? If you don't know anything about leprosy, they are like the social outcast of social outcasts. They are, they are as pariah and you, you, know, you had to yell unclean 50 feet away from them if they came anywhere near you, right? Like in a, <laughs> in a siege, these guys are getting the, the worst stick right? The smallest, the shortest stick. Everyone else is dying. They can't even afford a donkey's head. Like, what are they eating? I don't know. These guys, they're like walking skeletons. They're emaciated. They're dying. But they, like everyone else in that city, would have heard Elisha's prophecy, right? They would have heard this bold statement. And they kind of have this kind of depressing conversation, like, we're going to die, might as well die doing something that takes faith, right? And so they march out, they go, they're literally four guys, and they're walking up to an army, like an army that has been there for, at this point, probably months. And the army's gone. The army is gone. And the Bible tells us the reason the army left is that because God took these eight, guys, these eight legs from these four guys, and they're very weak, very feeble, steps, and he did what only God can do, and he amplified the sound of their footsteps to make it sound like not one army, not two armies, but three full-blown armies. God, God did something. He, he, I don't know what you want to call that, some miracle, but he made it sound like three full-blown armies were coming after these guys. And these practiced military like killers who are heartless enough to just watch a city star run away so scared that they don't even take their bag. Like, that's like, if you guys are so scared, you don't even pick up your, your cell phone. Like, they were that scared. Because these four guys took a step. 
they took a step. And these prophecy, this prophecy from Elisha happened because of the radical faith of these four men that heard what he said and said, we're going to do something. Even if we die, we're going to do something. And so there are three things I want us to take away. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each of them, but man, I want these to sink in deep, okay? Like, like they're just going to be up there. You're going to see them. And I really pray that the Lord really kind of imparts these into our hearts today, right? And we learn this from these guys, these, these four lepers. The first thing that we take away from these four guys about radical faith is that radical faith takes risks. Radical faith takes risks. Faith is not about sitting around and believing for the best, hoping that God will do something in your life as you sit on your couch in your dorm room or your apartment. Faith is not, God, would you give me friends, but I'm going to sit in my bedroom until they come to me. Like, that doesn't work, right? Faith, as we saw, is about taking that step that the lepers took. So many of us probably think of faith as something like this, if you really love this, I'm not bashing you, but we just think of like, let go and let God, right? Like, let go and let God. And there's, okay, there's some truth, but we think of faith like that, like God is just going to do everything. But I actually believe that a biblical definition of faith looks more like this. Everywhere you see faith, it looks more like this. Faith equals trust plus risk. Trust plus risk. You do not have faith in someone or something unless your trust expresses itself in being willing to take that step, that risk. It's funny because actually all of us know this intuitively and subconsciously. Give me a yes. Are you all sitting in a chair? Yes. Okay. That was actually an act of faith. Okay? Because this is what you did. Based on subconscious stuff, you said, that chair looks sturdy. I will sit in it. I trust that the, st the chair is sturdy. I will sit in it. You took an act, you sat down, and it, it held you, right? No one has fallen through their chair yet. Hopefully no one does. But I, I know that seems silly, but that, that is actually a very simple way. Of, it's, I trust that this chair will hold me, therefore I will sit in this chair. Another thing is a trust fall. You guys ever done a trust fall? I was talking to George beforehand. I was like, bro, if I was like, okay, let's do a trust fall. We're not going to do it, but he's going to catch me. And I'm like, dude, George, like, I trust you, man. I love you. I know you got me. Dude, you, you, I, I trust you more than anyone else. I know you'll catch me. And you're like, okay, bro, then fall. I'm like, no, 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 man, I, I trust you, George. Like, I don't need to fall. I trust you. I don't trust George unless I'm willing to fall, right? Faith is trust. Yes, God, I trust you. And I trust you enough to take a risk. I trust you enough to take that step. I don't, I don't know what the other end is going to look like. Or, I mean, even these lepers, they were told what the other end would look like, but there's, it's still terrifying. We still have to walk up to an army, right? It's so crazy, man. Like, <laughs> they believed the words of Elisha. They didn't know what part they were going to play, even with the end told to them. That was still terrifying. I mean, they, they outright say, like, we, we're probably going to die. Like, we're going to die somewhere, right? But they still took a step. You know what God did? God magnified their steps, and it made it. I mean, I just don't, I, I can't imagine what that would sound like. Like, I don't know how God does miracles, <laughs> but to take, like, if the four of y'all just started walking, and then 
everyone for miles is like, oh my gosh, the earth is shaking, there's people coming, and they're going to kill us. God did that. In the grand scheme of things, four guys walking into the jaws of the enemy seemed foolish, but they trusted God with radical faith, and God was the one who came through. And what I know about faith displayed in the Bible is that you only really trust God. Okay, hear me. You really only trust God when you actually do something with what he says. Your faith will be radical faith when you trust God and that trust leads to taking a step. The second thing that we take away from these guys is that radical faith is to be shared. Radical faith is shared. Faith is never just about me and God's kingdom. God's economy does not have lone wolves. God's, God's system, God's kingdom does not have, oh, God only does this to bless me. The lepers had faith in God and God came through. But what's even more incredible is that they did not hoard it. It says at first they did. They're like, well, let's go hide this because they're terrified. We may not get this back. We may not get this food. But they have this moment where they actually say, what we are doing isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. We need to go tell everyone else. And what do they do? They go back, they tell everyone, and the fulfillment of Elisha's prophecy comes to pass as they share their faith. And what I see from these guys' example is something we love to say here in Chi Alpha, which is this, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. When we have radical faith and God radically comes through, it's never meant to stop with us. I think about a time last semester, or, or sorry, I'm thinking about um, how I have been blessed by other people's radical faith. They shared their faith with me and also times when I've shared my faith with others and seen them blessed. I think about last semester, I'm going to call you out, Evan, in a good way, um, it's like a rally night, and it's probably like an hour and a half before. And if you guys don't know, I have chronic migraines, and I have like a seriously bad migraine at this time. Like nauseous, light sensitive, like, and I'm just like, hey guys, you know, like trying to smile. I'm supposed to preach like an hour and a half later, and so people start coming, and I'm like saying hi and doing my best, and Evan walks up, and he's like, hey man, like, how's it going? And it was, like, really genuine. It wasn't one of those, like, how you, how you doing and walking on. And I was honest. I was like, man, like, I'm not feeling good. Like, I'm supposed to preach. I know the Lord's going to speak, but this migraine is, like, like legitimately overwhelming. He's like, can I pray for you? I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? And he prayed for me. And I walk away, and I'm like, okay, my head still hurts. And then it's, like, five minutes later. I'm like, my head doesn't hurt at all. And so I go tell him, I'm like, bro, the Lord healed me. And like, you prayed for me. And it was so crazy too, because Evan had just the other day, he was talking to someone like, dude, you need to like step out and ask, pray, like pray for people to be healed. And if I'm not mistaken, that was like one of the first times you'd ever prayed for someone to be healed. So like the first time he prays, the Lord comes through. Like that's radical faith. And not only did he share his faith and I got to receive something, but he received something too. Like his faith just swelled up like, oh my gosh, I prayed for the first time and God did it. Why don't I do this more, right? I think about another time um, we were at a conference. This was like six years ago. And I'm like praying. And it's a big old huge Chi Alpha conference. I'm like, God, I just want you to, 
I want you to give me a, a word for someone if there's something going on in their life. You know, I know how, how wonderful it is for the body to come alongside each other, the body of Christ to come alongside each other, and, and God gives me a word for Grace Mancias up here. She wasn't Mancias at the time, Grace Bowles at the time. But the thing was, I didn't really know Grace. We weren't friends. Um, she was an acquaintance. And the Lord gave me something very specific to say to her. And I went, and I shared, and she starts crying. And it was so cool because I was talking to Grace last week about this, you know, from like six years ago. And both of us were just in awe of what the Lord was. It kind of one of those like, in hindsight, you see things clearer. And seeing what the Lord was doing then, and even still, how faithful he has been from that six years ago, even to this day. I shared my faith. I stepped out, and I said, God, this might not actually be for, I might have just made this up. But I stepped out, I took a risk, I shared, and both Grace and I were changed. Faith, as we learn from the lepers, is meant to be shared. It's not meant to build you and you only. It's meant to build up God's family. Right? It does, it's not hoarded. We share, and everyone is blessed. And when we share our faith and we don't hoard it for ourselves, when we practice this radical faith that gives, we get to the third takeaway from, this, from their, their story, which is radical faith changes lives. Radical faith changes lives. Israel was saved because of these four guys. People lived and did not die because of the faith of these four guys. People had food and clothes and shelter and security because of the faith of these four guys. And I believe that God wants to use every single one of us in this room in a similar way, not just to meet the physical needs, though he wants to do that, but to also meet the spiritual needs of everyone on this campus. God wants to use every single one of you, I believe this, to come alongside him, to partner with him, to change lives, to change everyone around you. Can I tell y'all one more story? Yeah? Is that cool? Okay. Going back to Sean Smith, all right? Sound good? The guy. Um, this, this story involves two main people, excluding myself and Sean Smith, um, and their names are Jordan and Drew, okay? So Jordan was one of my leaders when I was a student at Sam Houston State Chi Alpha many eons ago, and Drew was a guy that was in my small group, right? Um, and so going to Jordan, right? So Jordan and I, we had similar feelings about Sean Smith, um, our kind of initial take, right? Um, and so Jordan, I would say, was probably more of a skeptic than me. He was, he was more like eye rolly, like, oh my gosh, like, I do not like this guy. Every time, he, he was on staff, and so, like, he had been there for years, and Sean had come, and every year, he was just like, oh, he's back, right? And I actually, there was a point where Jordan pretty much said, I, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. This guy has said one too many things that I don't like, and there was a specific thing that Sean Smith had said that Jordan was like, I'm done. I'm not coming back. I'm not advocating. I'll come if I have to, but I'm done, right? So fast forward two years, and Sam Houston State sends a mission trip of 14 people to come here to WVU to say, would you consider giving your life? That's really cool. Seven of those people are here. So 
Mission trips can be life-changing. You should go. You can sign up late. Saudi needs some people. Let's go. Um, there's 14 of us. We come on this trip. Drew is on this trip. Jordan is on this trip, right? And so Drew is actually asked to share like a, a discussion time, right? Like maybe a small group lesson or something like that. And he actually starts sharing his testimony in part of this. And Drew has one of the craziest like stories of people getting like radically saved that I've ever heard, right? So Drew, um, when he was 13, God had called him and said, you're going to be a pastor. You're going you're gonna to be in ministry. By the time he was in college, he was about as far away from that as he could be. He was a drug addict, um, like hardcore drug addict, like so, so addicted that he was willing to sleep in the flea-infested home of his dr- dealer so he could get a better deal and have a place to stay because his family didn't want him to be around. And like every bad decision you can make, kind of fill in like hardcore drug addict, every bad decision, put that there, right? And so Drew kind of has this moment where he's like, okay, my life sucks. I'm going to try a new start. My dad lives in Texas. I'm going to move to Texas. He lived in Ohio. He moves to Texas. Things don't really change. He's still living this terrible lifestyle until one day his coworker at a, at a mechanic shop, she's a sweet old lady. She's, she, you know, she does the counter. She's not fixing cars. Um, she says, hey, Drew, I think you should go to my church. There's this evangelist guy named Sean Smith. He's going to be there with their, the Chi Alpha and the church. You should go. Drew is like, look, nothing is working. I guess I'll go, right? And so he goes, and, uh, you know, Sean Smith does his thing. He preaches. It's great. He says all this stuff. And then there's this point at the end when he's doing his, his, his thing, and he says, there are some of you, there's a couple of you in this room that God is saying you have you need deliverance from an addiction that you are physically and, and emotionally and mentally unable to overcome. You, you will not do this on your own, right? Like you're not overcoming this, and God wants to set you free, but what he's saying is you need to come up to the altar here, and you need to surrender everything to him, and he's going to set you free. And so Drew, you know, he's a, I mean, he's a, big, he's a country boy. He's like 6'4", big dude. He goes up there. And he starts surrendering, and he's up there for a few minutes. And he said that there was this point where he felt like something rolled off his shoulder, right? Like something actually felt like it rolled off his shoulder. And that moment, God set him free. He never went back. He never had withdrawal symptoms. He never had these cravings for these hardcore drugs. He still to this day has never gone back. Never wanted them again. God set him free in an instant. And what's even crazier is that when Drew said he felt this stuff roll off his shoulder, like two seconds later, Sean Smith, he's like, "Woo! someone's change just hit the floor. And it's, it's like, Drew is like, me, you know? Like, that was me, right? So somehow God did something. He let Sean Smith hear something in, in a realm that's not the physical, right? And I remember as Drew is telling this story, skeptic Jordan is still sitting there, and he has his jaw, like, like just down. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I mean, we're all emotional. This story's great, but he looks messed up. And the time ends, and we're eating food or pizza or whatever, and Drew, Jordan, and I start talking. And Jordan says, like, 
kind of trembling like I was. He was like, he starts telling us about how he didn't like Sean Smith. He didn't like this kooky stuff. He's kind of nutty. He's saying stuff. He's just guessing, all these things. And he says, guys, the day I threw in the towel with Sean Smith was the day he shouted out, woo, someone's changed just hit the floor. And now I'm looking at the guy that was healed. And to say <laughs> that Jordan was changed, to say that I was changed, to say that Drew was changed, I mean, it's a given. When something like that, when God does something radical, right? Sean Smith had radical faith. Drew had radical faith. And now, coming off of this, Jordan is like, all right, I get it, Lord. You can do more than what I think. It might seem foolish to me. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Radical faith changes lives. Jordan, Drew, and I, we loved God and believed God for bigger things after that. Our lives were changed. And because our lives were changed, we stepped out, we started all stepping out in a greater faith, in a more radical faith, and we started to see more people get changed. You see, when we have radical faith, lives are changed. And when we have radical faith, our campus, WVU, will be changed. I told you there were three things. There's actually a fourth. I tricked you. Radical faith is only radical faith when it is in God. Our faith is not faith in a system. Our faith is not faith in power. Our faith is not faith in the government. Our faith is not faith in the universe. Our faith is not faith in good vibes or cosmic energy. Our faith is not faith in faith. Our faith is in a person, and his name is Jesus. Our faith is in a person, his name is Jesus. You see, God is the one who spoke to Sean Smith about what was going on in my girlfriend's life. God is the one who healed my migraine after Evan prayed. Evan didn't heal me. God healed me. God is the one who told me to share with grace the very thing she needed to hear at that moment. God is the one who delivered Drew of his drug addiction. Sean Smith was just being obedient to what God told him. God is the one who let Sean Smith hear those spiritual chains fall off Drew. God is the one who opened Jordan's eyes to see a new reality. God is the one who told Elisha what was going to happen 24 hours later. Like God told him what was going to happen. God is the one who made the enemy army hear the sound of three armies when four walking skeletons came their way. God is the one who saved Israel, and God is ultimately the one who changes lives. But the beautiful thing about faith is we have a part to play. God is the one who does the work, the change. He is the one who brings about the change in your heart, Sam, that you can't do on your own. And yet, you cooperate with God, you come alongside, and he does what we cannot. We take our step. Those four guys are unable to take out an army. But they did what they could. They, were, they took a step of radical faith. And God did what they could not. And they changed the world. The lepers had faith in God. Sean Smith had faith in God. Evan had faith in God. Drew had faith in God. I had faith in God. And our faith was used by God to change people's lives. And God wants to keep doing that through each of you. 
Everything changed when those lepers, not leopards, lepers trusted God. Everything changed when those guys took that step. And our university, our campus, your friends, your roommates, your classmates, random people that you sit next to in the layer, random people all over this campus, their lives will be changed if we will step out in a radical faith and trust God to do what we can't. And I mean, I just like, I don't know, like I, 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 get, I told you at the beginning, I had this like vision. It's not enough to be like, man, I want to I wanna be like 10 years down the road and have a couple of cool stories. Like, it's not like the radical faith I want to have 10 years from now. What I think God is saying is, look, if we're going to win this campus for Jesus, if people's lives are going to be changed, you're not going to be here in 10 years. What are you going to do now? How are you going to take a step of faith now? And I get this idea, this vision. I'm just like, Lord, like, what if you stepped out in faith and you invited someone to small group or to rally? That might be uncomfortable for you. That might be hard. But you said, I'm going to actually ask my roommate. And they might think I'm weird after I ask them. But I'm going to invite them into what I have. I'm going to take a step of faith. What if you came out to our booth and you believed in faith and you said, God, I want to meet a new person. Look, the last two times I said, God, help me to meet a friend today at Booth. I did. And I have their numbers, and I hang out with them. Like, do we have that kind of faith to say, God, I want to meet a new friend today. Where do you want me? What if we had faith, and you prayed for your professors during your class, and you said, God, what do you want to speak to my professor? What's going on in their life? How can I, is there anything I can do? I'll tell you, man, God will, God will tell you something. It's just going to be, are you going to go and talk to them after class? I've seen people, man, like God tells them, hey, their leg, it's, they got something serious. Man, it's pain. You go pray for them. God wants to heal them, right? Or God wants to say, this is going on in your life. Hey, I, I've, <laughs> I've seen people like, what, you're 18, 19, 20, like y'all's age, go up to someone who's 40 or 50 and say, hey, God told me you're cheating on your wife and you need to get right. Like, scary stuff. That's scary to walk up to a random person and say that who's three times, two times your age, right? Like, you don't do that unless you have a radical faith. What if you sat on campus and you said, God, I'm not leaving this spot till I meet someone, and I want you to tell me who I go talk to. I'm telling you, if God, if God tells you go and talk to this person, there's, he's the one who told you. Like, there's probably going to be some good fruit from that. What if you nurses, you got a lot of nurses in this room, I don't know if it's allowed, so correct me if I'm wrong. What if you prayed for your patients? What if you, what if you said, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, you ask them, hey, could I pray for you? If they say no, they say no. If they say yes, pray in faith. Say, hey, look, I'd love for you to leave this room. I don't want you here. <laughs> I like you, but I don't want you here. What if you engineers? What if you talked to every one of the single lost guys that are here from all over the world? the Chinese students, the Arab students, the guys who don't know God? What if you said, God, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to talk to them. I'm just going to ask them their story. I'm going to ask them what they believe. I mean, I'll tell you this, man. If, if you have any Muslim friends, they love talking about their faith. And they're not, they're not afraid to talk about your faith either. They might disagree. What if you engineers, you did that, right? You are surrounded by people from all over the world. What if you ask God to use you 
to pray for the people that are sick and they get healed? What if you ask God to give you words of knowledge and to know those kind of things, say, hey, Marley, I think God is telling me there's some stuff going on in your life. And it could be encouraging, it could be hard, it, like, you know what I mean? Like, we, we, we walk in wisdom, but what if we had faith? What's going to happen to this campus, right? What if you said, screw my reputation, I'm about God's reputation? That's one of the hardest things with radical faith is people are going to think I'm weird. People think, okay, they might think you're weird, but their life was changed, and they probably won't think you're weird. And hey, if you get it wrong, they just think you're weird, and you move on. It's not the end of the world. What do you think is going to happen to our university if we have radical faith? WVU is not going to be in the same anymore. I saw a post today there that some people are mad that we're the number two bar city in America. They're mad that we're number two. I, I mean, I don't think you should be proud of being a drunk, but hey, what if we got to the point where it was impossible for WVU to be in the top 50 schools because people's lives are being changed so radically by God? Do you even want that? It's a big deal. Jesus said this in John 14, 12, as we're kind of wrapping things up. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. And then Paul says in Romans 8, the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. If you are a believer in Christ, if you walk with God, greater things than Jesus did, the same spirit that raised multiple people from the dead dwells in you. God's not the one who's limited. He's not, he doesn't have limits on his power. It's whether we're going to be obedient and step out in faith. This radical faith, this radical trust, this is going to change our campus. And God is inviting us into it. And I just think that's the most beautiful thing. He invites every one of us into it. And it's so cool because, <laughs> dude, someone else's life gets changed from you go and step out in radical faith, you do something, it's crazy, it's whatever. Their life gets changed. I promise your life will be changed too. Right? God is not, his faith is not just for one person. It, it builds all of us up. And then you go and you start telling your friend, bro, this happened. Like, I remember when Brandon was like, dude, I just spent three hours with George at the Arboretum and we talked about God. And I'm like, bro, this is so sick. Like, and not like, oh, yeah, this is sick. I'm no, I was like, I met the dude. That was so cool. And then now George has given his life to Jesus and he's here. Like, I'm convinced that three-hour conversation had a huge part in that. Brandon was the first guy that said, I'll give you the time, right? And he prayed for George, and God did a work that Brandon couldn't do. If we will trust, if we will take that step, man, God's going to do incredible things. So the band, you guys can come up. As they come up, this is how I want us to respond, okay? I want us to ask God for one thing that he wants us to have faith for. What is one thing? Say, ask, I mean, just, you can write this question down. God, what do you want me to have faith for? What do you want me to have faith for? And I want you, I want you to write it down, okay? If you've got a notebook, write it down. If you've got a phone, write it there. You don't have to write this second, right? Like, as we're responding, I want you, maybe God's already like, okay, you've been asking me to do this for a while, Lord. I'm going to write it down, right? But as we're responding, as we're worshiping, Lord, what do you want me to have faith for?
Maybe it's something like, it's that simple, like, God, I'm terrified to ask this friend to come to small group or to come to rally. I, I, I don't want to ask my roommate, and you're going to have to help me, right? Like, maybe it's that. For some of y'all, that's like, that's so easy. I'll invite anyone. For some of y'all, it's like, this is the scariest thing you've ever asked me to do, right? Maybe it's to believe for a promise in the Bible. Maybe there are things in the Bible that you're like, ah, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't really like that. I don't know. And you just kind of say, you know what, God? I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to take a step. Maybe it's, you know, one of the spiritual gifts, if you've ever read in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about these spiritual gifts, things like healing, right, things like words of knowledge, miracles, and all these different things. Maybe that's like, Lord, I, I believe it was true in the Bible, but I still haven't seen it. What are you waiting for? Just say, God, I'll, I'll step out. I'll pray. Maybe it's, maybe you actually need healing. Maybe you've got something you, you need to go to a friend and say, hey, the Bible says to, the, the prayers of the righteous are effective and powerful, and it says to lay the hands on the sick and pray for them, and they will be healed. So you say, hey, my small group leader, my friend, someone on staff, would you pray for me? And we're both going to believe in faith that God's going to do what we can't. Maybe for some of you, if you're in this room, you're like, I'm actually not a Christian. I call, my, I call myself a Christian. I was the same. I called myself a Christian. Or you're, you're here and you, you know you're not a Christian. And you need faith that Jesus can actually save you. You need faith that Jesus can actually do what he promised he would do. For tonight, ask God for one thing that he wants you to have faith for. And then ask him how you can take that first step. And then just take that step. Take a step. You can say, I trust you all you want until you take that step like those lepers did, right? It's just words. And then after tonight, we're going to keep doing that, right? It's not, I don't want this to be like a one-off thing. I don't want this to be like, oh, okay, cool, I did it once, check. You know, like, this, this, if this is the pattern of our life, dude, WVU Chi Alpha is going to be, there's going to be people that don't like us. There's going to be people that are, I mean, writing newspaper columns, look at these people, they do this, and then there's going to be people that will be with Jesus forever because you and I stepped out in faith. Your professors, your friends, the mountain layer workers. I don't know, I just imagine if God said, hey, pray for the Chick-fil-A worker right now over the counter. Are you going to do it? That's radical. That's, you're holding up the line. People think you're weird. God could meet her right there. And her life be changed forever if we will just step out. God is the one who does it, but we have to take a step. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are the only one able to change a heart. Thank you that you are the only one able to change a life. Thank you that no man gets glory. Yes, God, we have a part to play. Yes, God, you ask us to cooperate but Lord, you are the one that gets the glory. And I pray tonight we would look at you with eyes that go beyond just the physical. We don't, we, but we can see in our mind's eye and, and just envision what it is you can do. And then we would take a step and trust you in radical faith to see radical things happen on our campus. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.